tell me how to say ladies and gentlemen in gender neutral terms. Hey yo. Hey yo. Hey yo. All right, you guys, podcast time. We got the equipment and the perfect business plan. Give our show away for free and tell no one how to find it. Ready? Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian! I think he broke it. What you made me do? And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Everyone, welcome to the land where Foxy Foxy throws DVTs into big men everywhere. To HIA. She even did the spin on it. It was glorious. Not many people can come back into the business 13 years later and do a DVT like that. The five, her and Ricky Steamboat. I just compared the two. I did it. Shout out. Foxy Foxy, welcome to HIAC Talk Radio. Craig Gonzalez is here. As always, with me, the other guy, that's me, uh, we have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to talk about. Let's get the big one. Well, let's get one of the big ones out of the way. I am not going to use the word, the P word with this promo. <laughs> because it's like deflate gate, water gate, Trump gate, gate gate. Yes. There's a gate. Like, that's not what gate means. That's not even the right word. Watergate is the name of the hotel, you moron. Anyway, I'm not calling it a... It rhymes with flight flom. Yeah. Uh, but promo of the year. Promo of the decade. Pro- promo of the decade. Wow, Craig's going that big with it. Promo of the decade by one MJF. Uh, he was just Max Friedman. But Maxwell Jacob Friedman with an unbelievable promo coming off the heels of we were talking about last week. Is it a work? Is it a shoot? Who cares? Let's just wait for it to develop. I still don't believe it's a shoot. That's just me. I believe it might be a work shoot, but I don't think it's a straight up shoot. But goddamn, we talked about the squash at Double or Nothing mm-hmm. and then him coming the very next week, three days later. Yeah. And cutting in the scathing, unbelievable Ric Flair on Bischoff like Paromo, but ten times more scathing on Tony Khan on national television without the curses edited. And he did. And you know what the thing people are talking about that moment because, ooh, the F word. Oh, but even before that. All the things you said about this man mm-hmm. for the last two years, three years since AEW started that you and I have basically agreed on him. He's best Mike guy in this business. Why is he not up front and center? Rather than on that, which apparently he's been asking his own self, uh, looking at everybody else. If you didn't believe in the guy before, you can be mad and still not be able to articulate that on national television with five minutes to go for your promo. And the man cut one of the best heel promos or face promos, depending on whose side you're on, uh, in, well, apparently a decade, Craig. <laughs> Yeah. And and I will take your word for it, being as you've been around longer than I have, just by because your parents got married quicker than mine. Uh, so, <laughs> your thoughts on the MJF promo? I'm calling it. 
Yeah, you can't call it anything else because this is uniquely his. You know, you can't compare it. And I and I know when I first, uh, you saw the replay. I saw it live, and I was so moved. I had to text you because I could not believe what I was seeing. And I know the first words out of my my face was punk, and because that's what a lot of people uh, compared it to. Because this was the first time since um, CM Punk that a guy broke the fourth wall and pretty much just talked about how he was feeling. Now, what made MJF so special, because this is legitimately how he feels. He's not happy with his current contract. He is pissed off that all the money um, that this company has is being run by a billionaire and it goes to ex-WWE guys that couldn't lace his boots. And he's right. Um, and we, fans don't like him. Why not? Because he doesn't chase star ratings, because he doesn't drop guys on their heads, because he's not, you know, careless. And every and he called it all friends wrestling, which fans and me have called it for, you know, since the, the, the company started. And he did have to write his own ticket because he wasn't friends with the Bucks or Cody or uh Kenny Omega or those guys. So what made the, the, the promo so great was that everything he said was the truth. And that's exactly how he felt. That's the shoot part of it. Yes. And everything he said was exactly how he felt. And it was true. And so all of that was real. And what I always say when I talk about when I when I'm talk about this historian and I talk about a great match in history or a, a, you know, a match that's available in uh, on YouTube that happened 40 years ago, what do I say? I said, look at the match, but look at the crowd. Look at the crowd. When MJF walked out, he was booed out of the building because he's MJF and he's he's a heel. He's the best heel in the business. Everybody knows that. Even when he started talking. Fans were already shut the F up, shut the F up. By the end of the promo, he had the fans on their feet cheering for him. That's a, you, that kind of promo is just like him, a once in a generation type of promo. To have the biggest heel in the company, maybe the biggest heel in wrestling, come out with a microphone and by the end of his tirade have the entire arena cheering for him. No one can do that. Piper never did that on his best day. It's that's what makes that so special. The real thing that I want to talk about, Dan, though, is because we could talk about the promo all day. I've been I watched it again before we went on the air tonight. And because I'm trying to watch it at least once a day just because yeah. of its power. And we're, we're calling it a, a, a work shoot. Um, and we can't call it a shoot because um, MJF is still with the company. There's been no disciplinary action. He didn't, uh, if this was, he, he didn't. They unfollowed him on social media. Yeah, and they took his his face off the off, off the opening credits and yeah, not, never done uh, that before. Yeah, not selling any of his his merchandise. Um, I can say that uh, Tony Khan probably not so. What obviously this wasn't his idea, but he's yeah. going along with it. 
I'm sure some of the things that he said really might have hurt his feelings because again, oh, good, get over it. Yeah, take it to heart. What Maxwell Jacob Freeman said was exactly how we feel, and now the fans know how he feels. But if you're AEW now, what do you do with MJF? He's your best heel, but the crowd is firmly on his side. If you turn him face. Well, I'm, yeah, then that, that's what I want to discuss. What, what, do, what do you do now with, with a Maxwell Jacob Freeman? Okay. This is just me. Mm-hmm. And this is me dealing with it after the other situation, which was CM Punk's out for an uh, undetermined amount of time. Yeah. Uh, due to a real injury, an injury that he wrestled through for two nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny people on Botchamania. <laughs> Even Matthew apologized on the video. He captured it. I didn't know he's injured. Sorry. <laughs> um, which I thought was funny. Uh, you do what you, you and I talked about when this company first opened and they were like, we got MJF. And I don't, and you might have a counterpoint. I'd be willing to hear it. Mm-hmm. You take this tournament or this whatever play-in thing they're doing for the title. You push him to the moon. If anybody can learn from the mistake they made from the heat, good and bad, that Bret Hart had in 97 coming from the WWE to the WCW and them doing nothing with it. How do you look at that promo, hear how the crowd reacted and see how uh, see the reaction you're getting on social media and go be card. Mm-hmm. Word low. Even the way they did the, in my opinion, even the way they did the match, the way they did it, even if it was quicker at double or nothing did not hurt MJF because he was still a heel. And elevated Wardlow because he got all of that time. He finally just destroyed MJF, which was the point to begin with. Right. Now you take MJF after the rebound that he had with that promo. Mm -hmm. And you rocket ship that motherfucker to the top. At least for a little bit. You can work him back into a heel because quite frankly, he's better as a heel. He's better as the just the shit talking bratty little rich kid. But you can you can be you can afford to do the tweener thing for a little bit. He can still be the cocky prick rich kid and have a championship and wrestle heels and faces. And I know for a fact that he can do that. Mm-hmm. There's no question in his ability if you're a rational person who watches. I knew years ago that this guy was going to be a star somewhere if somebody gave him the time. Now is your time. You have primed this perfectly. Whether it came out of frustration or not, does not matter anymore. Find a way to make this work. Have him cheat his way into the tournament or whatever. There, I've read briefly and then I got distracted. ADD did something else. Work it in somehow, Craig. I'm sorry. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Counterpoint. Keep him off TV. Put the belt on Danielson more than anyone else in that company. Brian Danielson was the biggest star you had before Punk got there. And he was doing the best promos outside of MJF 
and it was most over than anyone else until Dean Ambrose came back and messed everything up with the I love Regal, but the Blackpool that you just you you effectively just made the, your second biggest star there invisible, putting in with Moxley and Wheeler Yuta and and Regal. Nothing against any of those guys. Well, something against Yuta, he shouldn't be in there at all. But um, um, put you got to put the belt on Danielson. And when if I like the idea of the interim champion, you make Danielson the interim champion for as long as Punk is out, and Punk comes back. Yeah, Punk versus Danielson, which is what wrestling fans have been waiting for for how long on a big on a big budget pay-per-view. Years, multiple years. Yes. So there you go. And the only reason I say you keep MJ off TV is because what he because of what he said. I don't want to be here anymore. I want you to fire me. Um, unless something gets worked out with this contract, um, which could happen and when mjf is a happy camper then you bring him back yeah i agree push him to the moon but he's still got to be a heel absolutely heel no question yeah and which is going to be tough because of that promo that that's the tricky part the other my other thing is keep him off tv if you're going to sign him to a long-term deal, do it behind closed doors. Don't let it leak. Don't let it get out or anything. And have updates. MJF is still, you know, holding out MJF to and just or just give little teasers. Have have MJF send in different videos. Um, and when he when he comes back, let him be. Uh, de- depending on how long Punk is out. If Danielson needs a big a quality opponent before Punk, have MJF do it. My my perfect scenario would be um, when they announced the tournament before I knew MJF before MJF made the promo. I said MJF would be your should be the uh, the champ next, the interim champ. And uh, but now no, it should all it should be Danielson. This is the 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 one opportunity you have now to put the belt on the second most over guy in the company, or the, or the, the best wrestler in the company, I should say. I'm going to get over because Punk, MJF, uh, were, they're all over, but Danielson should, should be your champion right now bef- and until Punk comes back. And I, me, my opinion, keep <laughs> MJF off TV. You might get your wish, sir. Okay. It might, it might be going that way, my friend. I hope so. Honestly, I don't see it why anyone else would be, you know, they would be cha- interim champion now. Try with Moxley, that doesn't work. You tried it with uh, Adam Page, that didn't work. Um, you need Danielson is your best wrestler. Was the 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 hottest guy in the company before Moxley came back, and he's the best wrestler you have. So, and, and I mean, I can't argue that. Yeah, and and even just having him face Moxley—that's your your Blackpool Fight Club already facing off against each other, and that's already a a great you know storyline right there. And you you keep it on uh keep it on uh, Danielson till till Punk gets back. But obviously, the entire wrestling world wants to know where when MJF is going to show up next. 
if he's going to show up next. And it's exciting, though. That's exciting times, man. I can't believe I've been – I've so now AEW the appointment TV because we don't know when he's coming back. But it's also going to be a long summer because, you know, Punk's out. Um, and the other guy we're going to talk about. Well, Punk's out. Roman Reigns is out. Um, what? Big champion. What the fuck did I miss about Roman? Uh, no, he's uh, not not out injured, out um, taking time off. Oh, oh, yeah, I missed that shit. Yeah, he's just freaking exhausted. But the whole idea was Can't imagine why was leading up SummerSlam was going to be Reigns versus interesting R and R Reigns versus Rhodes. But like I was talking about the other people that are out. We have one another person that's out now who's got yes balls, balls of steel. Yes, yes. Uh, we're not going to do the big debate on if it was right or not because I'm so tired of hearing about it. None of us are in that situation, uh, so I don't care. <laughs> However. In one of the most amazing feats of athleticism, balls, pain threshold, whatever, however you got to call it, Cody Rhodes, I believe it is in this in a segment on Raw, um, tore his pectoral muscle, mm-hmm. and then while training for the match, ripped it right off the bone. <laughs> And I guess they thought, well, you can't get any worse. You can't. It's you can't. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, went into the match straight up. Hell in a Cell match, which was a fantastic Hell in a Cell match. With a with a torn, a bloody bruised, torn pec muscle into his arm. The bruise went from his pectoral all the way to his for down to his forearm under his armpit all over the place it looked like a samoan tattoo dan yeah it did it did and did this match with you would think no big spots oh no i i don't know how i don't physically know and i have a good pain threshold i've been told that by other doctors with all the knee issues i had before i put on weight a lot of weight folks um that my pain you have a really good pain threshold. Really good. Can you shut up and cut it? Can, can you fix that now? Thanks. Um, and I'm watching this go. I, I, I thought just I thought there was going to be a way out of it. And sure as shit, went through, did the whole match, and props to Th- Seth Rollins too. Not only wearing the Dusty Rhodes polka dots, yeah. uh, for not killing him. Yeah. Or making it worse, and then doing a follow-up segment on Raw, uh, and he's going to be out for that worst six months while he recuperates and gets it repaired. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, and I tweeted it, and I'm going to say it now because I jokingly I joked with Omega Squad, like, "Yeah, I'll watch the replay." And it's I got news for you. As soon as I heard the stuff with Cody, yeah, I watched. <laughs> I don't feel the need to tweet about it like everyone else because, you know, everybody says the same thing. Now I try. I, I do tweet live, but not like every second like I used to. 
but I did stay. I said I wasn't going to watch it live, uh, but I did now. And yeah, it's the most insane performance. It was a performance. Feats of athleticism I've ever seen. That's I don't think anybody understands how actually painful that was. And and I'm not again, I am not in the business of judging him because we should have done. You should have known better. That's none of my damn business. It's none of your damn business. No one's going to give you a pat on the back for thinking he should have done the right thing. Why you should have not done it? Nobody cares. It was unbelievable to watch. It was his decision. And here we are. We have a moment of the year in June. Yeah, I, I did watch it live. Um, I was, you know, I, I heard, again, through social media uh, that he had torn the, the pectoral muscle completely off the bone. And then even more headlines were that he's still going to wrestle tonight. I said, okay, well, it's going to be a short thing or it's going to be, he's going to go in and uh, they're not going to start the match or Seth's going to attack him and the referee's just going to stop it and that kind of thing. So that way Cody won't lose any heat and he'll still be come off as a hero and everything. But, and then I thought, well, since Cody obviously can't wrestle and Seth is going to attack, if there was ever a time for Bray Wyatt to return, oh yeah, it's right here to help out Cody. So they're both, uh, and they grew up together and because their fathers were best friends and um, uh, they're, semi-related, I guess. Um, Mike Rotunda's um, son and... Yeah, sure. Dusty and well, Dusty, my, my point is Dusty and Blackjack Mulligan. They're related. They're pretty much cousins, man, at this point. Yes. So, I, but that's one of the things that... But the last thing I was thinking was that Cody was going to actual res, wrestle a full match the way he did. So when he came out dressed and everything like, okay how are they gonna how are they gonna pull this off but like you said dan obviously it was cleared by a doctor and the doctor could seemingly or or most assuredly told him it cannot get any worse so do whatever it is you're going to do do it safely and i you know i wasn't too crazy about the stairs and the objects and the sledgehammers and the you know he, you're already in a you're wrestling in a cage. You're you're putting a hat on a hat. You don't need every object on earth to uh during the match. It's already in a cage. Yeah. I mean it's it's an achievement enough that he's wrestling. If there was no cage, that he's wrestling with a torn pectoral muscle off the bone. People, a regular match would be and an astronomical achievement and courage. Yeah, really, <laughs> really. So we don't need all that other stuff. So, you know, and so I watch it, but when it started, like like I do with every cage match that has weapons in it, I roll my eyes, I walk away, I start doing other things because it's needless, needlessly stupid. And it looks, and it's like every other cage match that's ever been now. That has to have weapons stored underneath. Uh, but 
that um, all that aside, um, obviously Cody did an amazing job. And I what my problem with WWE is my I still can't believe he walked the next day. By the way, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry, but it's a, they only have eight guys on their roster. Um, the WWE does because we how many rematches did we see last Sunday? Seth and Cody, Seven? but it's the third time, and Seth hasn't won. If you've already beaten the guy twice, why are you why are you wrestling him again? At least with Bobby Lashley and almost, which is also needless. At least almost won one, but why are we seeing these guys again, again? Um, and obviously, we only have two tag teams now: the Usos and who else? Um, the Street Profits and uh, Matt Riddle and uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. That's it. There's no more. There's no other tag team because we have to see the same ones over and over again. Um, yeah, uh, it, so yeah. bored with it. I'm sorry. And what and the and it's. What what makes all the timing so bad for all of these injuries? With with Punk's injury, the timing sucks. But if not, you we wouldn't have the 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 possible resurrection of Brian Danielson as champion, which we you know. So in that case, it's fortuitous. With Cody, just absolutely sucks because he's in the middle of the biggest push of his career. He was part owner of AEW and he never got a bigger push. No. He, got, yeah. he never got the reaction from the fans that he's getting now. He never got that in AEW. Because you know how I know that it's different with Cody now? When he's talking on the mic now, when he goes on one as long, the, the kind of thing that would maybe change the channel in AEW. In WWE, he's earnest and he's talking and the fans aren't wanting him. Yes. That's very important because they want everyone else to death, but they're not wanting Cody, which is for an ex AEW guy. That's huge. And but it's just such a a lousy, lousy uh, break for for him right in the middle of the biggest push of his career, and no doubtly would have been. Um, they obviously the, the goal is to put the, the belt on him to give Roman a legitimate break now um, after SummerSlam. But since now we have no Cody, um, we had to bring back Roman earlier than possible, earlier than possible, because now since we only have one belt, who's going to be up? Who's who's next? Is it Lashley? Is it Drew McIntyre? Sorry, either Riddle? No, God, no. Well, Riddle made a challenge on on Monday. Since he said, I'm so sick of the use of, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do something. I'll take away the belt from your cousin. That'll show you guys. Um, but yeah, but who's it gonna be? Now the code is out. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, we know who it won't be. Mm-hmm. It won't be Edge. No. No, it won't. In all. a stunning turn of events, 
not only did Judgment Day add a member, but the they giveth and the take, take it away. Not only did they add a member, they subtracted a member. Yes, not only did they add Finn Balor, but they subtracted Edge. And I, it's still one of those moments. It's been a long time since I'm like, I, what's happening? Yeah. What? And I don't feel that's a bad thing because I'm like, okay, I need to, I, I need, I, I need to know what's going on next. Yes. Uh, I love Judgment Day. I know we we are questioning still, and I agree. Like, why, why, why? Damien Priest is in this group. He didn't need it. Why is Rhea Ripley in here? Didn't need it. But I still love it. Yeah, I still love it. Um. And now Finn Balor is, but basically Balor Club 3.0 is uh is in effect. So I guess we're getting Balor and Edge, and I, I, I'm here for it. Yeah. I know that we could do the argument like, well, we could put somebody else in that spot, but I, I'll, I'll watch Finn Balor Edge. I'm ready for that. Yeah. But I'm also ready to watch this group without Edge. I mean, my my thing was, um, I love Edge, but I hate guys coming back after they've retired, especially right. when they don't need to come back. I don't. I I know you can still do it. If the fans know you can still do it. So why are you still doing it? Just because you can? You you got to give me another reason for that. If you're gonna make new stars, if that's if the the end goal of this, if this is like an evolution thing, where. Triple H said, I'm going to get Randy Orton, Batista over or by any means necessary or die trying. That was the whole goal of evolution and it worked. If this is Edge's evolution to get Priest and Ripley um, to the main event spots where they should be, then I'm all for it. In that case, he should have stayed longer um, because Edge has that type of caveat that he can elevate guys. Um, Finn Balor, to his credit, doesn't. Um, but we'll see how this group goes. We already paid off. Uh, Rhea Ripley has a championship match with Bianca Belair. Ripley should go over. Ripley better go over. Nothing against uh, uh, Bianca, but um, either she, either Ripley needs to be a champion of one or the other. Um, I don't know where Rhonda is or um, Charlotte, but I don't Rhea, care. Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley needs to be champion. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Rhea Ripley needs to be champion. Um, but yeah, I, to see Balor as a heel, and is he the leader now? Just because he's the newest member? Is he the, is he the spokes guy? Is it, is it Priest? I, I, I kind of thought that it was going to be AJ since AJ's used to be in heel and he used to be run the bullet club anyway. So I thought it would be him. Another wild idea I had, Dan, was that um, the demon would be in judgment day, but Finn Balor. Oh, but Finn Balor wouldn't. Yeah. Mm. I wish one of these companies would go for the, uh, the duel, like the, again, I always bring up Willow the Wisp, Jeff Hardy. Yeah. Because right from the word go, they were like, Jeff Hardy's alter ego. I'm like, no, why? 
Why would you tell us that? We know it's Jeff Hardy, you doofus. You don't need to tell us that. That would have been a perfect, not, you don't do maybe the dual personality thing, but the Mick Foley, Mankind, those were obviously the same person, but it wasn't. Yes. And it was a way around a lot of things, like three entrances into the Royal Rumble. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, the Demon and Finn Balor are separate enough in looks that you could totally be like, well, the demon can wrestle this match too, you know. Like, that's just me. Yeah, I agree. But uh, yeah, so that's that's a bit. Yeah, I don't know. I I I I would have I would have liked to see that. I didn't even think of it until you met him. Like, oh shit, I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah, I I would have liked to. I the the swerve is great. Them turning on edge because, like when we were like when we were talking about the greatest heel turns uh, of all time a couple weeks ago, I said the best ones are the ones I don't see coming. Uh, Hogan and uh, the NWO, Seth Rollins turning on the Shield, did not see this coming. I I didn't see that Finn that Valor was gonna was going to uh, join. Um, I didn't know he's gonna be there. No. And you know, if you you follow uh, Edge on on social media, he always he would put pictures of different wrestlers, mostly um, faces. Yeah, on, I was seeing he put his yeah, wife up there as well. Yeah. Hashtag Judgment Day. Yeah, <laughs> and it worked because I didn't know. I like I said, I had no idea who was going to be. Um, I also had no idea that that was going to be Edge's last time. As a and it didn't make the it, but it didn't make. Balor and those guys a face when they turned on Edge. That everyone everyone fell for Edge at the end, so they turned Edge face. So uh, yeah, just like with MJF, I interesting to see what Judgment Day does next. Who's the spokesperson? Who's the leader? Um, we know Ripley's getting her shot, but what's up with Damian and? And um and Finn, are they a tag team now? Because obviously we need more tag teams. We only have three. Um, and the Intercontinental Championship and the United States Championship are invisible. I read an interesting. Did you did you read this stat, Dan? That the the Intercontinental title hasn't been defended on a pay per view and since two thousand. 19? 18? Something like that. Or like the last time the United States yeah. Championship and the Intercontinental title were both defended on a pay-per-view was like... I mean, I'd have to take your word for it. I, I can't recall. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Well, since I'm the king of segways, I could do it tonight. Well, that sounds like a historian thing, Craig. <laughs> what else you got for me this week? Well, do you want to go back? Uh, we, yeah. You know, I've we've I've enjoyed our time in the present, Dan. I can't remember the last time I said that, but we spent this much time talking about wrestling that's going on today, this in, in this current year of our Lord 2022, because mostly in the last couple of weeks or most of this year, we've had to find our favorite time to talk about wrestling was stuff that happened before both of us were born. Um, 
So I'm going to attempt to go back, um, uh, back to when uh, wrestling was wrestling and not sports entertainment, back when uh, watching wrestling on network TV uh, caused ratings of more than single digits. And um, back when uh, if something happened to a wrestler or good, bad, or indifferent, uh, we wouldn't know about it unless it showed up in the local paper. Then we knew it was real or what has happened was actually not part of professional wrestling. So in this particular uh, edition of Wrestling Historian, we're going to go back and talk about times when professional wrestlers made the local newspapers. Um, that's when we knew that this was not an angle, that this was something that actually happened. And when it made the local news and then wrestling fans got a hold of it, then it became national to wrestling fans and wrestling fans only. But this was before the internet, uh, before dirt sheets really got off the ground. Uh, this was a week in wrestling history that caused wrestling fans uh, to think, wow, these guys are real people. And, uh, <laughs> They're just like us. <laughs> and shit happened. Uh, June 4th, here's an example, Dan. June 4th, 1987, in Argyle, Texas, uh, in the local paper, uh, Carrie Atkinson, former high school All-American in Texas, All-State, um, all-around decathlete, and a former world record holder in the discus, um, was riding his motorcycle, wearing only shorts, no shoes, and a helmet, crashed his motorcycle on the back of a police car, suffered a dislocated hip and a severely damaged right foot, and had to undergo 13 hours of surgery to save his foot. And that turned out to be a turning point in the life and the career of Kerry Von Erich. Um, it obviously made all the local papers in Texas because Tex, uh, the, the Von Erichs were royalty in Texas. Um, and these, this is even after the tragedies um, that had happened to the Von Erichs. This is 1987. Um, but Carrie ran into the back of a parked police car um, wearing, again, wearing only shorts no shoes, no socks, no pads of any kind, and a helmet, and to really damage his right foot. Uh, and we've discussed on this podcast um, the 13 hours that they, of surgery they took to save Carrie's foot all went for naught because Carrie, who had to go to the bathroom, stepped out of the hospital bed onto his <laughs> uh, surgically repaired foot and broke every bone in it, causing it to have to be amputated. So Kerry uh. Von Erich wrestled the rest of his career uh, with a missing right foot. Uh, still had a successful career, uh, not only in world class, but when he went to the World Wrestling Federation, 
first as Kerry Von Erich and then renamed Texas Tornado, won the Intercontinental Championship right here in the beautiful air-conditioned Philadelphia Spectrum SummerSlam 1990 by beating a, the former AWA heavyweight champion, Kurt Henning. Never thought I'd see the day that a former NWA champion would defeat a former AWA champion for an Intercontinental title. Um, and that was the last time the Intercontinental title was defended on a pay-per-view in the WWE 1990. Um, now, uh, but he had a successful career, and uh, his time in WWF was successful. Main event slots, he got to wrestle, you know, Ric uh, Flair again. He got to wrestle a lot of the guys he wrestled in world class, teamed up with the Ultimate Warrior, teamed up with the Road Warriors, who were the Legion of Doom at the time. Had a great run, but he wasn't Kerry Von Eric anymore. He was a Texas Tornado. Wouldn't let him use the claw, wouldn't let him use any of the stuff that made him carry. And unfortunately, with the WWF's travel schedule and the amount of money he was making um, there at the time, death fed his demons even more. Um, and that would contribute to uh, uh, his life ending prematurely. But uh, some could trace it all the way back to. June 4th, 1986, Argyle, Texas, the motorcycle accident that would change the life, change the career and life of Kerry Von Eric. June 6th, 1985, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, of all places, <laughs> that a McDonald's that had all the lights on but was closed would cause the consternation of one world's strongest man, the AWA's own Ken Patera, who had just wrestled on an AWA card, um, wanted something to eat. Back then, McDonald's weren't all night affairs. They were, they closed at a regular time. So Ken, was denied service, even though, like with many McDonald's, and I still, it still bugs me that all the lights are on, and but they are closed. Ken Patera wasn't taking that lightly, and when he was refused service, he went outside the McDonald's, and you know those big, huge boulders that they have just as decorations for around the, well, Ken Patera picked that up and heaved it through the front window of that McDonald's, out of frustration. Ken Patera, um, who we know now um, from stories that had, can be relayed in, uh, in behind the scenes stuff or shoot interviews, always had a temper. Uh, Jim Cornette remembers when he was a photographer when Ken Batera wrestled in Memphis briefly as one of the guys that Nick Bockwinkel hired to uh, take out Jerry Lawler for the bounty. Um, one of the old, old soda machines in the Mid-South Coliseum uh, made the mistake of eating uh, Ken Batera's dollar and Ken Batera proceeded to pick up the entire soda machine and shake it vigorously looking for either his soda or his money but Jim Cornette even said that was a, the most goddamn thing I ever seen he just picked the whole thing up and just shook it um absolutely um sorry guy from Milwaukee just made a great catch on a Kyle Schwarber, 
Yeah, that's okay. And and my dog is barking like mad, so that's why I'm trying to mute. Lily, shut up. Uh, so that the Cambatera um, temper came into play there. So the cops were called, and uh, fans knew that it was Cambatera, and uh, was directed toward the uh, the hotel that the wrestlers were staying at. And the cops went there to uh, talk to uh, Mr. Patera. And Cambatera at the time was sharing a room with Mr. Saito, former WWF tag team champion, along with Mr. Fuji, and multi time uh, territorial champion in Florida and in, uh, in Texas. Uh, Mr. Saito answered the door and uh, told the cops to go away, that Cambatera wasn't here even though Ken Patera was clearly seen and behind Mr. Saido, well, Mr. Saido wouldn't let them in. Uh, so that became a struggle. In all, seven police officers were used to subdue two men, including a police dog. Um, and they were eventually taken into custody and uh, were um, taken to court. And again, this made all the local papers of Waukesha, Wisconsin. Uh, so anyone, the Milwaukee Journal, uh, that was, it was uh, not on the front page, but uh, was seen as a, uh, as a big deal that the local wrestlers got out of hand. Uh, finally, um, Ken Patera and Mr. Saido were found guilty of the charges stemming, stemming against them from the McDonald's incident, they called it, even though Mr. Saido wasn't there, uh, didn't go to the McDonald's. Um, so Butera was convicted of two counts of battery on a police officer and one count of criminal damage to property, that would be the boulder. And Mr. Saido was convicted of three counts of battery on a police officer. Because that's how many it took to subdue Mr. Saido. Three police Jesus. officers. <laughs> Both did jail time. Um, Batera, I believe, did two years. Uh, Saido did 20 months. Uh, Saido would come back and um, win the AWA championship during the dying days of the AWA, becoming only the second Japanese wrestler to ever hold the AWA championship and only the third Japanese wrestler to ever hold any world championship, any American world championship in wrestling history. So there's that. And Kambatera would go on, would return to the WWF scene of some of his greatest triumphs and they would use his jail time as an angle. <laughs> in order to- Let's say, didn't Bobby say something? Yeah, they tried to make it seem like it was Bobby Heenan's fault that Ken Batera was arrested and put in jail because of the influence of Bobby Heenan, even though Bobby Heenan was in the WWF at the time and Ken Batera was in the AWA. And it was, even I knew this, but rest, WWF wrestling fans were disposed to believe that Bobby, because Bobby Heenan had managed Ken Patera at one point that that's what sent Ken Patera straight to jail. And oh. <laughs> they had a debate on television and um, Ken Patera has never been a great promo. 
He's all he's been good, but he was not great. But now the years haven't been kind to him in 1988. And I like I said, I'm just lucky, thankfully, to be out of jail and to not have to deal with the likes of you anymore, Weasel. Meanwhile, Bobby Heenan, always a great Bobby Heenan, incredibly articulate, said, I have nothing to do with this man's trouble in jail. He got into that by himself. Okay. He's older than me. He's been in this business a lot longer than me. He knew everything that was going on. I didn't tell him to break the law. I didn't tell him to beat up cops. I didn't even tell him to pick up the damn boulder. That was all. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's Bobby Heenan. They're booing everything he said. And meanwhile, you're saying, he's telling the truth. What are they? He's not the bad guy here. Oh, my God. I didn't remember that about it. Oh, my yeah. God. And, of course, after the debate. He's was- lucky Ken didn't kill him. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Even though in the, in the, during the debate, Patera ended up attacking Heenan. And, you know, of course, the fans love it. But he put his belt around Heenan's neck. And threw him and then pulled it back. And I and Heenan obviously Heenan, the greatest seller of all time, the greatest worker in the history of the game, looked like it broke his neck. I thought that's where his neck problems came from. That's what did it to his neck. It was further than that, but it, it without the uh the, the injury to his neck occurred years later. But I thought that's what did it. Right. Um, it looked really bad. Um but uh, Batera would continue to wrestle in the WWF. Um, he and Hogan go back away. They, you know, wrestled in the EWA together. And the uh, Ken Batera was on Hulk Hogan's side team on the very first Survivor Series. Uh, and here to bring it back around, Batera wrestled with a torn bicep. But be- and because he didn't want to take off any time because he was in the biggest run the biggest push since early 1980 WWF. Uh, he wrestled with a brace on with a torn bicep. On the very first Survivor Series, he was part of Hulk Hogan's team. It was Hogan, uh, Batera, uh, Paul Orndorff, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, and somebody else. I want to say Hacksaw. Duggan, but I, I want to say I was gonna say was it Hackstall? Hackstall was it Hackstall? Was it Ron Hackstall? That was oh, sorry, I'm going through uh, <laughs> I'm going through flashbacks. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, but uh, yeah. So uh, but Ken Batera, June 6, nineteen eighty five, was uh, arrested for his uh, uh, destruction of property, beating up of police officers, and making the local news. Um, incredible is five years after, and we're coming up. Uh, and in future wrestling historians, we're going to talk about the summer of Ken Patera. Uh, because in 1980, I can't believe it was 42 years ago, uh, the, the MJF of professional wrestling was Ken Patera. Uh, and we'll discuss that in the future, um, wrestling historian. Uh, but for now, we'll end this on today in wrestling history. Uh, big days. Um, uh, the late Howard Finkel uh, would have been uh, 72 today. And in my estimation, the greatest heel in professional wrestling history 
would have been 98. The Ed wow. Farhat, the original Sheik, um, would have been 98 years old today. And finally, um, I got this. Um, happy birthday to you. <laughs> bang, bang. <laughs> bang, bang. Uh, born 57 years ago today in Bloomington, Indiana. Mason the Mutilator, folks. Um, celebrates his birthday today. And I got this shirt in the during the Attitude Era. Uh, and if you press certain places, you'll get a a, a mankind saying. But now you can't get it to work because <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Mommy! I've got one word for you. Taco! I need that shirt. That's amazing. Have a nice day! My mom was in and out of wrestling for years. Like she wouldn't ever really seriously watch it, but she'd be okay with certain. But Mick Foley, yeah. Once he went, and I know you're gonna be like, "Oh, he went comedy with it." You can't argue the success with it. Yeah. Once she would, she would say, "Have a nice day" all the time. She had a mankind shirt. She never supported wrestlers like that. But Mick Foley, she she knew. You know, because that was when Cafe was all over. Uh-huh. You know, she knew how smart he was. How, you know, uh, she always talked about his his wife yeah. and how gorgeous she was. She was just a Mick Foley mark. Read his book. Yeah, that's the that's the wrestling book she read. She she read yeah. Mick's book, and I understand. And Mick's story is one of my favorite stories, and I love every aspect of mankind from when it was serious, from when it was not so serious. Um. The man's a genius. The man's a genius in wrestling. He made that work. We could talk about the spots of the hell in the cell, uh, how he, he I hated him in my childhood when he was picking on Sting, that son of a bitch. Um, still one of my favorite matches, and he puts it over talking about Sting and how Sting did him favors, you know. Yeah. Uh, put is that match at Peach Blast 92 where Sting did a unheard of for Sting at the time, a uh a uh, false count anywhere match in the middle of a pay-per-view like this is in between world title one runs and he's working like hour number two of a three-hour show against cactus jack <laughs> uh and doing spots and suplex uh, mick, mick was great cactus jack was great dude uh, love was great everybody was great he had three faces of foley you, you can't and like mjf uh, a- after him, he got himself over uh, because Vince McMahon was never a fan. Um, didn't want the guy. Uh, see, Jr. Jim Ross vouched for him. Obviously, Jim Ross called many of his matches in WCW. Yep. And all. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's the connection. Yep. And our and he that's who he recommended, and he always saw uh, Cactus Jack as a Mid South guy. He would have fit in perfectly during the, in the Mid South territory, with uh, the, the the style that they had back then that was rough and tough, and you had tough guys like Doctor Dusty Williams and Buzz Sawyer, and Cactus Jack would have fit right in there. Uh, but it was for me, it was his promos in ECW that got him yeah. over. Even when he wrestled in WCW back when the ECW and WCW had a 
handshake agreement, and they could they feature talent on both of their uh, on both their shows. In fact, Cactus Jack would show up on ECW television with the WCW tag team belts on his shoulder, and he have these great promos like mirror mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror says, Snap you! You toothless, earless freak! Oh, man, they were great. Him, Mikey likes it! He really, really likes it! Uh, Mick was great, man. Mick is amazing. He is. And happy birthday, Mr. Foley. Happy birthday to Mrs. Foley's baby boy. Uh, and I am so happy to admit that I was wrong not admit but I said to anyone who would listen after that I watched it um, and I told Mick Foley this I was fortunate enough to meet him he signed both of my books have a nice day and Foley is good when I worked at WHYY channel 12 the local PBS affiliate here uh, yes right yeah and uh, he signed my books because he's he mentioned in his book and he mentioned on the air uh, during his interview that the people, the, the guys that watch his Hell in a Cell match with the Undertaker multiple times are the ones with no girlfriends. I had, I was proud to tell him I watched him multiple times and I had a girlfriend. So take that, Mr. Foley. Um, but it could not have been a nicer guy to me uh, and to all of his fans and uh, happy birthday to Michael Foley. And that, gentlemen and ladies, is the wrestling historian. My favorite part about Sako before you do the outro is um, how Mick tells the story about that first segment with the Yurple yeah, and, 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 and Mr. McMahon. And he says, if Mr. McMahon didn't turn to the camera or didn't turn away from the camera after he threw us out of the room, it would have never happened again, but he turned away and he goes, Mr. Sacco. And he said, that was it. So he's like, I'm going to find somehow, some way to make Sacco appear. And it became a fucking toy. You could buy a sock with the drawing on it. Mm-hmm. It was a sock. If anybody ever has an argument against Mick Foley, I bring up merchandising Sacco. Yeah. Okay. And when you're done with that, I got one word for you. Sucko! He's also, my, my second PS is, is um, on WWF The Music Volume 2. He's got my favorite theme song, The Ode to Freud, mm-hmm. which is just his theme song, but it's got inter- interview um, snippets and during the piano part that would play after he'd win a match. Usually he'd be sitting there pulling his hair. Yeah. Right as the end, right before it fades out, you hear him go, leave the light on. I'm coming home. <laughs> he laughs, man. And that guy's awesome. Sorry. It, no, but he made that work. I mean, I said he they wanted to Vince wanted to call him Mason the Mutilator. And the, the sketches that they, the original drawing they had for him, he looked, you know, absolutely um stupid, which is, you know, what most of the characters that Vince came up with looked stupid in the Mantar type of uh uh, scope in that in that realm, um, but Mick, oh, I was going to say something. Um, uh, oh, sorry, by, no, it, no, it was it was by accident. Um, 
and it was so so many great moments, especially in the in the Attitude Era, happened by accident. Vince McMahon going, Mister Sucko, was <laughs> not meant to put that over. Austin three sixteen was by accident. Who knew that was going to be, you know, just something he said off the top of his head. Um, what MJF said on his promo that was, you know. It, that be, he became a, the biggest star in the company by accident. That was not his intent. But um, that's what I love about this business when moments are made uh, by accident. And uh, Mick Foley is a benefit to that. And I was what I was going to say was, I'm happy to be wrong because I told everyone who would listen after the Hell in a Cell match with The Undertaker falling off the cage, through the cage, uh, I said he's not going to, by the time he's 50, he's not going to be able to walk. He's going to be in a wheelchair. And I told my girlfriend at the time who watched that with me and who loved Mick Foley, I said, he's going to be in a wheelchair. So look at him now while he's standing up and walking to the ring, while he's hunched over like that, he's going to be in a wheelchair before he's 50. I'm happy to be wrong. Yeah, uh, it's close, though. It's close. Yeah, he's, he's getting there. Yeah, yeah, I got to see him perform in Helium, and but I do it every single time. So, God, I miss those shows. I need to catch him next time he goes on the road. Yes, Rick's a hero of mine, man. Great storyteller. Uh, but happy birthday today! And and that is the wrestling historian. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Lagon, C R A I G L I double G E O N S. Follow me on Twitter, Danlo83, all social media platforms uh, as well. Go to your podcast app on your phone, type in HIAC Talk Radio Network, the green and purple logo. Subscribe, follow, uh, add, sign in, review, whatever you got to do. Listen to HIAC, listen to Stadium Journey, listen to Manic Mixtape, and listen to Nerd Herders. We're a couple weeks away. We will be back for. Craig Legans, the professor. I'm the other guy. Goodbye. Keep it on the paper. <laughs>